And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. Bullets. 
Hurry up, run. The dope fiend brought back a spanking shotgun. He went outside, but there was cops all over. Then he dipped into a car, a stolen Nova. Raced up the block doing 83. Crashed into a tree near university. Escaped alive, though the car was battered. Rat-a-tat tatted and all the cops scattered. Ran out of bullets and he still had static. Grabbed the pregnant lady and pulled out the automatic. Pointed out her head, he said the gun was full of lead. He told the cops, back off, for honey, here's dead. Deep in his heart, he knew he was wrong. So he let the lady go and he starts to run on. Sirens sounded, he seemed astounded. And before long, the little boy got surrounded. He dropped his gun, so went to glory. And this is the way I have to end this story. He was only 17 in a madman's dream. The cops shot the kid, I still hear him scream. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh. Just another case about the wrong path. Straight and arrow are your soldiers. Yeah. Good night. Knock him out the box, Rick. Knock him out, Rick. K-I-R-P Radio! Good evening. It is Friday night, May 26, 2017. You listen to K-I-R-P Radio Show. This is last Friday nights, last Friday nights of the month with your host, Rocco P. I thank Pudgy Miller once again for letting me use his platform. I looked over uh, the shows I had done uh, for months and... It is interesting, uh, if you look at, if you go to uh, Blog Talk Radio and you search KRP or KRP Radio on Blog Talk Radio or go to, uh, you do that search, you'll see I have spoken a lot <laughs> about Donald J. Trump. Uh, it's it's obviously a story that is uh, it's worthy of discussion for uh, for a lot of reasons. And I'm not going to. Uh, I'm going. To, uh, I'm going to avoid that temptation to rehash everything. It's only a show for one night. We don't want to be here forever tonight. However, there is a different angle tonight. Uh, tonight's show is going to be a little bit different. When you deal with partisan politics, the when I want to say partisan. You know, the you know, party party type politics, and obviously there's different ways people participate at different levels within the two party system. Uh, for example, I am still Republican. However, I'm not putting a whole lot of time and effort into changing the Republican Party with, from within. But if you do believe in voting, and you know, some people who are activists do not, because there's certainly many, many ways to change the system apart from voting. You could even make a very good argument that voting should be the, uh, the least important activity. And certainly not voting doesn't change anything. So that's really the two-edged sword with voting. Many people place all of their uh, eggs in the basket of voting and then become disillusioned, uh, discouraged, feel uh, disenfranchised over time when you see very little, very little tangible results, very little things, very few things happening uh, through voting. And, of course, there's a whole – I've said this in all the shows – when you consider voting, 
the powers that be, uh, whether you call that the power elite, power elite, the men behind the curtain, I would say the New World Order, there's, it's not by accident that they get us to focus on national politics, on federal offices, where we have the least, uh, the lowest probability of change. The reason we have the smallest, the lowest probability of change, the smallest uh, possibility of affecting positive change toward liberty at the federal level is because of the amount of money it takes to run for federal office. Again, there's only 100 senators, and then uh, number of members of the House was capped uh, early in the 20th century, 435 House seats. So right now, where so well over 800,000 people uh, per congressional district. So when they redistrict things, uh, yeah, you don't get more. Um, <laughs> you don't get more representatives. You get more people. You know what I'm saying? You got 435 House seats, and that number's fixed. And eventually, it'll be a million people per representative, and that it just becomes more and more ridiculous. In any case. Um, but the point being, when you talk about partisan politics, you can make the argument again that it's uh, it's completely worthless. Meaning, you have to work within the two-party system at all. And others would say, and again, I take pretty much in kind of take an open position uh, that there is some value. But as I just said before, you certainly should not put all your eggs in that basket because changing the party from the inside is uh it's not impossible it certainly hasn't been done yet and there's many reasons why but tonight i want to talk about the liberty movement and donald j trump the liberty movement and donald j trump there's been uh there's been some robust debate in the liberty movement about trump's presidency there's certainly a lot of robust discussion going back to when he was a candidate. But before I get to Trump, I just want to review really what, how I view the so-called modern liberty move, movement, kind of, you know, what I see, what, what, what would be my loose definition, how would I describe what that is. You talk about the liberty movement, you talk about the patriot movement, uh, you talk about uh, an independent movement for liberty, uh, an independent movement of people attempting to affect positive change based upon the paradigm of individual liberty. In other words, based upon principle, not based upon trying to get any one particular person elected, not based upon any particular issue or goal. And of course, you know, there are many, many issues that resonate with the liberty movement. I mean, in my mind, uh, uh, I believe abortion on demand should be ended. And yeah, some uh, some people in the liberty movement would disagree, but if you do believe life begins at conception, then uh, that's a fundamental issue. And certainly, using the uh, the current political process, that has not resulted in end to an end to, to abortion on demand. And there 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 be many many others. Another big issue in liberty so-called liberty movement would be uh, militarized police and illegal wars. And uh, wars, foreign wars of aggression. Liberty movement would, in general, uh, comprise or include constitutionalists, but it's broader than that. Uh, liberty movement would include some people who identify with the label libertarian, 
again, you have philosophical libertarians commit to non-aggression principles saying that government should not use force, should not coerce people to do anything unless someone in another individual's liberty or their uh, their person, really, there's a threat to their their person, their life or limb, or their property. And uh, in one sense, you could really say it's the political political equivalent or biblically the golden rule doing to others as you do unto yourself. But the, the the way the way I view it, and of course there's always been people that have fought for you know, individual liberty. The way I see the, the the development of the modern liberty movement, it would uh it would go back down to a book written by Carol Quigley. Carol Quigley. Carol Quigley, among other things, was one of the mentors of Bill Clinton at Georgetown University. Uh, Carol Quigley was Ivy League educated, but then spent his career many, many years, I think it was over 30, I could be wrong, teaching at Georgetown University. And I'm not going to go down that whole path as far as the Jesuits and the Roman Catholic Institution. Yes, that link is there. Uh, the Jesuits, to the best of my knowledge, have been expelled from, I believe, every nation on the face of the planet except the United States. I could be wrong. But uh, the Jesuits, clearly, that was part of the Counter-Reformation going back to the 15th century. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is and always has been a political institution. That's why the Pope can address the United Nations. He doesn't address the United Nations primarily as a religious leader. He addresses the United Nations as a political leader because he is the head of a sovereign state, the Vatican. Vatican City is a sovereign nation located in Rome with very big walls, extremely big walls there. But in any case, Carol Quigley was one of Bill Clinton's mentors, not to put him, though, in the left-right paradigm, which I'm about to discuss as far as, you know, that is generally how people view reality. Quigley's book, I believe, was published in 1966. 1966. And I tie that to the genesis of the modern liberty movement because when that book had come out, and it's interesting about how, how that book was written uh, or how the, how the book was really disseminated. The, the story goes... If if it is true, again the book is real. Uh, that you could get if you search online. I think you still get a uh, a PDF of it for free. I believe it's still in print. It's over thirteen hundred pages. That was his magnum opus, uh, a tragic hope, a history of the world in our time. Tragic hope, a history of the world in our time, published in nineteen sixty six. The story goes is that that was not initially supposed to be published for the general the readership of the general public. It was designed to be. Uh, read just by the elite, and then somehow to get published. I don't, I don't know if that's true, but it was published. We know that's true. It's out there. You, you can read it yourself. And he's written many, many books about Carol Quigley. We talk about the Anglo-American Empire. And I'm going to read a quote from that. Uh, I'll read a few quotes. One, page, uh, page 950. Uh, there does exist and has existed for a generation an international Anglophile network which operates to some extent in the way the radical right believes the Communist Act. In fact, this network, which we, which we, we may identify as the round table groups, has no aversion to cooperate with the Communists or any other groups and frequent, frequently does so. I know of the operations of this network because I have studied it for 20 years and was permitted for two years in the early 1960s to examine its papers and secret records. I have no aversion to it or to most of its aims and have, for much of my life, been close to it in many of its instruments. 
I have objected both in the past and recently to a few of its policies. But in general, my chief difference of opinion is that it wishes to remain unknown, and I believe its role in history is significant enough to be known. And this next quote is probably the most famous or infamous from Tragedy and Hope, page uh, 1247. Quote, the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea, acceptable only to the doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical, so that the American people can, quote, throw the rascals out, end quote, at any election without leading to any profound or extreme shifts in policy. Okay, so so did you get that? What what he put, what he put in print then in 1966? The argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals and policies, one perhaps of the right and the other of the left, is a foolish idea acceptable only to the doctrinaire and academic thinkers. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical, so that the American people can throw the rascals out in any election without leading to any profound or extreme shifts in policy. So, there. You know, Quigley uh, let the cat out of the bag, so to speak, basically saying that uh, the entire two-party system, the way it's construed in the states, is uh, it's complete fraud. And again, we talk about left versus right. Uh, that paradigm is used, you know, obviously in other countries. You, know, you hear about, you know, this or that is that idea or that group is left-wing. That idea or that group is right-wing. You look in the states. Uh, Things. One of the reasons, the obvious, one ob- very obvious reason, things don't change, and you could say it's about the state houses too, as far as the party system, is that when the two parties at the top, I'm saying not everyone understands it because many people that go in for different reasons and they get elected. Some some people would just be called useful idiots. Uh, they believe in certain things that their particular party would proclaim. Other people go in, get off, especially federal office, and they're just there to enrich themselves. And I didn't pull up the stats tonight, but you could you could do a little study. Uh, you could go to duckduckgo.com or startpage.com and see study how much people after they get in Congress, the longer they stay around, how their net worth does. And it's pretty amazing. I mean, it's just I guess it's coincidental that they just become incredibly successful investors <laughs> the longer they're in, they're in Congress. In, in any case, uh, Quigley's book. I believe, did set off, in in my opinion, the modern liberty movement. The liberty movement has no central organization. It's independent, has no central leader. There's no central group. There's no central publication, by definition. It's a variety of groups, people, individuals that believe in the principle of individual liberty. And Quigley's, Quigley's book really was... Uh, the influence of that w- was really monumental because that alerted a lot of people. It really explained to a lot of people it, that the two-party system was a fraud. Quigley went on. He also talked about globalism and the movement towards a one-world government. This also came out in Tragedy and Hope in '66 when it was published. Quote, the powers of financial capitalism had another far-reaching aim, nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. This system was to be controlled in a feudalist fashion by the central banks of the world, acting in concert by secret agreements arrived at in frequent private meetings and conferences. 
the apexes of the system, was the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, a private bank owned and controlled by the world's central banks, which were themselves private corporations. The growth of financial capitalism made possible a centralization of world economic control and use of this power for the direct benefit of financiers and the indirect in- and the indirect injury of all other economic groups. Quigley also said in Tragedy and Hope, History of the World in Our Times, quote, the Council on Foreign Relations is the, Amer- is the American branch of a society which has originated in England and believes national boundaries should be obliterated and one world rule established. You could also do you could also do a study and see uh, post-World War II, the you know, Council of Foreign Relations uh, you know, came into being sometime after that. I think with just maybe one or two exceptions, every United States Secretary of State has been a member of the Council of Foreign Relations. But the Liberty Movement really started, uh, the modern Liberty Movement started then, because when this got out, and people didn't read, read Quigley's book, uh, I mean, the masses didn't, but the ideas got out. You had uh, you had a guy like Cleon Skousen. Cleon Skousen had been hammering away at the communist. Yeah, he wrote uh, books like The Naked Communist. When this came out, he wrote a book called The Naked Capitalist, and then he exposed a two-party scam. Uh, you had books like None Dare called Conspiracy by Gary Allen. Both of those books are very popular. The Naked the Naked uh, Capitalist, None Dare called Conspiracy. Uh, you had the John Burke Society. Uh, John Burke Society had existed before then, but then it had been anti-communist. Then they saw the big picture. It was globalism. The two-party system was a sham. It was designed to push us towards globalism, the eradication of of all individual nation states. So the uh, the modern liberty movement then really uh, was given birth at that time. Again, different groups, different people. Uh, but that pretty much was the essence of it. When you had people arguing for principle over over any particular political party and any one issue, but just the principle of individual liberty and seeing really the evisceration, the the slow but uh, <laughs> gradual uh, uh, evisceration of our individual liberties over time. And again, anyone... Uh, a lot of people that that are heavily involved in the two party system, they can't, they really can't believe that it, it's that bad. But all you have to do again to see if this is true is say, you know, why, regardless of who's in office, why doesn't things why does things change? This is really that simple. If if the two parties were really diametrically opposed to one another, we would see some radical shifts. When you know, you, particularly when you had one party controlling the White House and Congress. Case in point now with Donald J. Trump, I'm getting ahead of myself. No, business as usual, same form, fit, and function, uh, different package, different suit, different guy with hair. But no, it's just it's, 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 it's the same deal. So the Liberty Movement again, uh, I think it's 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 been a great thing to really attempt to affect this this positive change. Again, there's been different manifestations of it. You had the Libertarian Party, which now at this point, in my opinion, I'd say that's been co-opted just as much as the Republican or Democratic parties. You have Libertarian think tanks and foundations, Reason Foundation, which I would say would be controlled opposition. Uh, Cato in Washington, I'd say that's, that's largely controlled opposition. Lou Rockwell uh, running 
Mises Institute, I think that is real. It's one of the few groups that would be real. Uh, but when, and then you have Ron Paul. Uh, Ron Paul ran for Libertarian Party candidate president uh, in 1988. And he was one of the few people that supported Reagan for Congress in 1980 before Reagan won the nomination. I think there was only five or six people in the House that actually supported Ronald Reagan when the primary started in 1980. Ron Paul was one of them. But as he saw what happened, the so-called Reagan Revolution, he was disgusted, and he ran for president on the Libertarian Party uh, label in 1988. Ron Paul left Congress, re-entered Congress in 2008. Uh, he ran for president as a Republican. And he had different reasons as far as, you know, when he, you know, went back into Congress. You know, he didn't run as an independent. I won't get into all that. But uh, when Ron Paul ran in 2008, that had a profound impact, certainly, on me personally. I had I had, uh, I had affiliated as an independent, and, uh, you know, I got back into the Republican Party for only one reason, because I wanted to see Ron Paul get elected. Of course, that didn't happen. Ron Paul ran again in 2012. Uh, second time, and uh, obviously he didn't get elected. Uh, I don't really want to go into detail about Dr. Paul. I think Dr. Paul has had you know a very positive influence. I really don't know where he's at. In one sense, it doesn't matter. And that you look at his his influence now. What happened in 2012 is that the baton was handed from Ron to Rand Paul. Rand Paul ran with largely yeah, independent, liberty-minded people, got elected with no political experience as senator in Kentucky, as an ophthalmologist, you know, medical doctor. Rand is wholly a rep- totally sold out to the Republican Party. If you don't believe that, when he ran for president in 2016, he had to change the state rules, if not state law, at least the Republican, the Republican Party had to change, uh, change their rules so he could run for president at the same time as a Republican in 2016 as he did as a U.S. Senator. Now, now think about it. Uh, if Rand Paul was real, would the Republican Party cooperate with him at that level? No, no. I mean, you know, Rand, Rand is a fraud. But again, I don't, I don't want to really trash Dr. Paul, Dr. Ron Paul. He's done and said a lot of great things. But you look at his influence now. It's uh, after he left the scene in 2012. I thought, as a Ron Paul supporter. He would have come out, and he would have been far more vocal and far more outspoken, especially in issues like 9/11 Truth. 9/11 Truth being a false flag, you know the, you know the most horrific uh, terrorist attack in U.S. saw was obviously a false flag. Uh, I've covered that in other shows. The point being, I thought I kind of I did give Ron Paul a pass when he was in Congress and he was running for president on those issues. And I figured, well, now once you know, once he leaves the public scene, you know, he's gone into education, he's got the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity, I thought he would be far more vocal on those issues. Instead, if you listen to Ron Paul, he's really gone the other way. You know, he's, he's far more sedate, he's more reserved. And uh, again, you, I, I don't really want to trash Ron Paul, but it's just an observation that uh, Ron Paul, in a lot of ways, even at the philosophical level, at the level of ideas, just hasn't delivered. Uh, people, when, when, when 2016 election came about, you had, uh, you had people within, uh, within the liberty movement, some with, you know, using libertarian label, again, philosophical libertarians, not the co-opted libertarian party. They got behind Donald Trump. You had some intellectuals, you had Donald, Dr. Donald Miller formed a group called libertarians for Trump. 
Libertarians for Trump. He formed that with two other intellectuals, Professor Walter Block, an economics professor, and economics professor Ralph Ryko. And they basically, it was interesting as libertarians, they did that, and this, this was their rationale. They said Trump's the most libertarian in foreign policy, and that was true. That's why I support Trump. Uh, they said he's least likely to get us into World War III. That appeared true then, it doesn't now. And they said imperialism, foreign aggression, are more of a threat to to liberty than are violations of economic or personal liberty rights. So there you see them, you know, they, they, they kind of, they stepped into the arena politically. They started to hedge on certain issues. Uh, they really hedged on principle saying, okay, well, we're going to do this. We'll enter the political process as far as a primary and voting for a, pre, for a presidential candidate because, you know, the imperialism, the foreign aggression, that, that's worse to a threat to liberty than violations of economic and personal liberty rights. The reality is they're intimately tied together. It doesn't take a lot of history to show that when a nation fights foreign wars of aggression, eventually that comes back home. And that's sad to say, that's part of the tragedy we see in the United States today. We see the United States inexorably being transformed incrementally, but surely and steadily into a technocratic police state. And part of the reason, part of the impetus behind that, part of what empowers the state to be able to do that, to deceive the people, to take away our liberties, to deceive the people, to make them think they're keeping us safe as if we sacrifice our liberties, which is a colossal lie. Part of the rationale behind that is the threat of foreign enemies. And certainly since 9-11, uh, certainly you know, the, the boogeyman of terrorism. Now, it doesn't mean terrorism doesn't exist. It does. <laughs> but terrorist, legitimate terrorist attacks are few and far in between. It's a colossal lie to think that we'd have to sacrifice any of our liberties and that will ever make us any more safe. In any case, that group was launched Libertarians for Trump. And to give you an idea, I have not, I didn't do the research to see what you know, Miller, Block, and Ryko say today, but uh, the site is shut down. <laughs> That would give you an idea. You had a stand-up guy like Tom Woods. I say Tom Woods is a stand-up guy. I appreciate Tom Woods' work. Uh, that's a guy. He's he's devout Roman Catholic, uh, Ivy League educated. I believe he got his PhD from Columbia University in history. And yeah, he's taught a lot of people about things like nullification, which could better be called really interposition. The idea that. Under the current Constitution, there's only certain enumerated powers to the federal government. If the federal government uh, makes laws because the Constitution is the highest law of land outside of the parameters of those enumerated powers, those laws are illegitimate. So that would make what the majority of the federal government, if you understand that, illegitimate. Uh, <laughs> but then Tom Woods wrote the book Nullification, basically kind popular, helping to popularize the idea that the states then could really make a difference by just saying, simply saying no if a law is passed. Uh, you know, take, for example, the EPA. EPA was created by executive order by fiat by President Nixon. No authority in the Constitution for the federal government at any level to be involved in the environment. Okay, it's completely illegitimate. And it was created by executive order, which makes it worse, not even by legislation. They have this huge budget and all. But uh, marijuana would be another example. Okay, there was time this in, in the history of the United States where the people understood what those enumerated powers were to a large extent. There's a group of people. They were Christian people. I think they were largely uh, misinformed. I think they they had good motives, but uh, their rationale or their uh, 
the way they view politics, and as far as Christianity, of course, I'm a Christian, I believe the Bible, but they attempted to coerce the state to make make alcohol illegal. That was prohibition in the United States. The point of what I'm saying is this. They understood back then the Christians and non-Christians believed in prohibition. There was no authority in the Constitution to make alcohol illegal, so they had to change it. Okay, you fast forward. Now we have this war on drugs. There's no authority in the Constitution to say anything about any any drugs, prescription or otherwise. Yet we have this war on drugs. So Tom, Tom Woods came out again. I appreciate his book nullification, but he he was really interesting. Before the election, he threw out you know very close to the general election. He threw out a non-endorsement endorsement for Trump. I say it's a non-endorsement endorsement. He came out and he basically said, uh, I don't endorse people, but uh, you know, pretty much, you know, look at Hillary. We have, you know, we have an opportunity, you know, to basically make a dent in the system, and that was what some of the libertarians were saying. That uh, this is a way to really, even though you know Trump is, you know, just completely off on some issues. Of course, he was all over, all over the map on most issues, except foreign wars regression when he ran for years. He was all over, all over the map on a lot of things. But basically, Woods came out and he gave the pitch, which didn't make sense pragmatically. Hey. Even in spite of Trump's flaws, you look at Hillary, vote for Trump because it is an opportunity to do something different. And again, now, yeah, what <laughs> we've known of on shows like last month, the other candidate, Trump versus President Trump, uh, we could talk a little bit about what he has or, or has not delivered. Right now, it's 833. I do have I do have a guest coming on, a fellow activist, a friend. Corey Sturmer. We'll be going to him in a few minutes. We're going to take a break. Now we're going to come back and we're going to talk more about the liberty movement and Donald J. Trump. Uh, you've seen my position at this point. I think uh, don't think the liberty movement and liberty in general has been helped by Trump. I think uh, Donald Trump is a great threat to our individual liberties and liberty movement as a whole. We're going to talk about that more with Corey in a few minutes. You're listening to the KIRP radio show. K-I-R-P How many more innocent people? How many more? How many more? What has been the number one cause of unnatural death in history? Democide, or death by government, has killed 290 million people on record. Look it up. Go look it up. In the 20th century, Government murdered four times as many people as were killed in all the international and domestic wars combined. USSR, 61,911,000 people killed. Hitler's Germany, nearly 21 million people killed. Japan's imperialism, nearly 6 million people killed. Western colonization killed over 50 million people. Pol Pot's Cambodia, funded by the U.S. government. Two million people killed. China's Communist Party, as many as 76 million people killed between 1949 and 1987. And the list goes on and on. Demand to know why the Department of Homeland Security bought more than 1.6 billion hollow point bullets. How many more people does government have to kill? Enough. Enough. Demand an end to citizen disarmament. As an American. As an American citizen. As a patriot. For your children. Enough of the people laying down 
and letting government kill them in mass after disarming them as they've done throughout history over and over again. Now is the time. It's time. It's time to realize that when the government takes your guns, people die. It's time to realize the biggest threat to you and your family is government. It's time to recognize government is the greatest killer of all time. Demand they show you the word hunting in the Second Amendment. Demand our politicians uphold the Constitution and Bill of Rights as they swore to when they took office. It's time for our leaders to read the Constitution. It's time for our leaders to obey the Constitution. The Constitution. The Constitution. Because a well-regulated militia with 10-round magazines wouldn't last very long. So now you know the most dangerous thing to you and your family in the world is government. Because mass murderers agree, gun control works. K-I-R-P You're listening to last Friday night's last Friday of the month with Rocco P, guest host of the KIRP radio show. And Corey, are you there, my friend? Hey, Rocco, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Last time I spoke with you, you were still part of the Liberty Movement. How's going? On? How's things going? Um. Well, I think. As far as the liberty movement, broadly speaking, it's going quite well. Um, I see um, people having a much different character of conversation, even in public places. People seem a little more open to the idea that the government lies than they have in years past. People are listening a little more respectfully to things that we've been talking about for years. Um, and that might even be one positive thing you can say about Trump and his election and ascendancy to president is that um, people are pissed off. They might be pissed off at the wrong things, but the good thing is that they're pissed off. Uh, for the longest time, it feels like that's been the hardest thing to do is to get people pissed off. <laughs> you know, if they're not pissed off, then they're not even going to want to talk about it. And you know, we're here talking about it, and that's, yeah. I think, a good thing, right? Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I hear you. Would you, uh, would you want to talk a little bit about how you became an activist, different things? Uh, I know uh, initially, you know, you were talking, you got involved, you knew about the Fed and Sound Money. You want to talk a little bit about how you became an activist and what you've worked on? Yeah, thanks. Um, well, I heard some of your commentary earlier before and how. Ron Paul was um, kind of transformational for you when he ran for president in uh, 2008, and that kind of got you thinking about politics in a different way. That was similar to my trajectory, actually, um, all through college and high school. I really didn't pay very much attention at all. I was really kind of in it on a different planet. But um, as I started to graduate out of college, I had always had an interest in the finance world and money and how money worked. And, you know, that was what we were at college to do, right, is uh, figure out a way to make more money. <laughs> so um, during the presidency, presidential election of 2008, I started to pay a little uh, closer attention. And before Ron Paul, I was actually gravitating towards um, Mike Gravel, who was 
uh, running as a Democrat, and I wasn't attracted to his message because he was a Democrat. I was attracted to his message because he was really challenging uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton uh, on the you know mainstream media um, uh, debate, and he was you know saying that he was afraid of their you know reckless policies, uh, foreign and domestically, um, and he just had a much more common sense approach to um, politics than I had heard up to that point. And as I started to dig into his uh, following, I was eventually led to Ron Paul, and that led me to, you know, the creature from Jekyll Island, which taught me about the Federal Reserve, and the Federal Reserve, you know, was really a turning point for me. I think the Christmas of 2008, I bought a case of the creature from Jekyll Island, and I bought um, one silver ounce of silver, one one ounce of silver, <laughs> uh, which, if you read the book, is part of the history of uh, the monetary system, not just in America, but uh, across human history. And I gave, I wrote a letter um, to, it was like to friends and family who, you know, I, I felt would be receptive to a um, a gift like that from, you know, family and friend, a uh, mm-hmm. family me- uh, member or friend. So I taped the silver to the letter and then I put the letter in the uh, book and then wrapped the book up and I gave that out to like 24 people. Um, and some people have come back over the years and talked about, you know, what has happened since then. I think in the letter I predicted that the silver ounce would go up in terms of uh, dollars and I think I spent like $9 or something around there at the time on the silver ounce. And then it went up to like over $40 um, in the next uh, five or six years. And it's subsequently gone back down. I think it's around 17 or $16, but it's still above what I spent at that point in time. The point being that, the Federal Reserve was going to continue to inflate the monetary supply, and that would re- reflect itself in the hard metals, which is central to the whole scam in the first place. And, of course, that's one facet of the liberty movement, right, is, you know, the monetary system and um, voluntary transactions in commerce and so on. And so that led me into just so many other areas um, since that point, uh, which we can talk about. Nate, Nate, you're you're you know just you're evangelistic uh, with the book and the silver, just kind of kind of like the way I I was, uh, and then with the gospel. <laughs> but so uh, of of when that's that's a big book. So yeah, you gave out the creature for Jekyll Island with with uh, one ounce of silver. Yeah, in a letter, basically expressing my concern that we have this um, this kind of arm of of the government that is feigning uh, public oversight, but is as public as Federal Express, which is none at all. It's completely private. Um, And, you know, that would be one thing if it was like, you know, mowing the side of the highways. But when we're talking about the creation of the money supply, it's so central to everything that we do. Um, And then when you look into the history and how, you know, and you were talking about tragedy and hope, uh, of course, 
Quigley acknowledges that there are all these investment bankers who have basically subverted the total, you know, the, the American Anglo-American economy, which really drives so much of what happens in the world. And then we get into the different circles of the financial oligarchy and that, you know, we talk about uh, Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderberg Group and the uh, Club of Rome and, um, you know, even more esoteric groups like the Jesuits and uh, the financial oligarchy of the Vatican. Um, and so it just goes in so many different directions. Um, and I, I know that it has completely changed, you know, my life and my trajectory um, being exposed to libertarian ideas. Um, I guess really starting with Ron Paul, if, if I had to put a pin on it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I really, I really like the work of G. Edward Griff and that Creature from Jack on. I mean, that's a massive book. It's great. I love, uh, he's done a lot of really good videos that are out there. Uh, one video, if anyone wants to check out work by G. Edward Griff and, and just see really some of these ideas we're discussing, where he lays it out philosophically and historically, check out, go on YouTube and do a search for a video called The Collectivist Conspiracy. The Collectivist Conspiracy G. Edward Griffin. That's that's you know one of many that are you know very very well done. Uh, the the thing to me, and I kind of came in for me obviously you know uh, being older, it really bothered me after 9/11. I, I think I told you this before ways back. It really bothered me after 9/11 that I saw all this massive attention focused on airport security, and I started to think to myself logically. This makes no sense. If anyone acts up on a plane, even very weak old ladies are going to kill somebody. Yeah, you know, just it, it, the whole infrastructure. Yeah, you know, they, they rolled out the Patriot Act. Uh, yeah, you know, they, they rolled out uh, the Department of Homeland Security. And of course, as, as you know, when you study that stuff, uh, the Patriot Act was written beforehand. They, they rolled it out. Uh, Department of Homeland Security, all those plans were written up. They just rolled it out. Uh, nothing, very little happens by accident. Uh, and as people, both political parties have said, uh, never let a good accident go to waste. I think that quote attributed, might be attributed to Ron the Bull Emanuel, Barack Hussein Obama's initial uh, chief of staff. I think he's currently the mob boss mayor of Chicago. That concept is there, problem reaction action solution. Those in power will not just use a crisis, they'll even create a crisis like a false flag. Use that knowing that will elicit a certain response from the public, knowing precisely then what they'll be able to do. And that's part of the you know, the horrific power of war is that, and you know, the United States for all intents and purposes has been in the state of war since World War II. Uh, right. Last time the U.S. declared, absolutely, last time the U.S. declared war was during the nations, you know, against nation states. Uh, based upon the Constitution legally, and when World War II ended, then you know, the bases didn't go away. The U.S. got involved in the Korean War in 1953, 1950 or 53, and I never looked, I never done the research to see what the debate was, but that really was a watershed in U.S. history because as the U.S. expanded the security state after World War II, I'm sure you know the history, the Department of War continued. They just changed the name and called it the Department of Defense. Uh, 
Yeah, the CIA was set up. It had been a wartime operation, the OSS, the Office of Strategic Services. You had all this National Security Act. You had all this infrastructure of war that became permanent. And the Korean War, war was never declared. Again, I never I never looked up the congressional record to see you know, how. I'm sure there was, there was some debate. But since, you know, Ever since World War II and the Korean War, that was that was a big one. War's never been declared, and war probably never will be declared, which is horrifying. So we're living in this unfolding national security state. There's constant, constant real or threats of constant foreign war, and they continue to chip away at our liberties. To me, when after 9/11 again, it really bothered me. It just made absolutely no sense. I didn't know. I knew very little. Um, as far as constitution, I knew very little. That as far as you know, philosophically, liberty or practically, you know, what what really what was the impetus uh, behind the Declaration of Independence, of, apart from British oppression. But it bothered me again to see all that effort, all that focus upon airports. And I kept on asking myself too after 9/11, if this war on terror is real. And of course, as Ron Paul said, and others said, you can't declare war on a tactic. And I, I've said you can't declare war on ideology. But if the war on terror was real, why why was the border never secured under George uh, George W. Bush? Never been secured under Barack Hussein Obama. Do not believe it would be secured under Donald J. Trump. So those, those questions really drove me. And then yeah, I listened to people like Pat Buchanan, uh, paleoconservative, wrote speeches for Nixon, wrote speeches for two other presidents, listened to Michael Savage, Borders, Language, and Culture. And I just kept on just kept on studying things. And uh, eventually a guy had given me a uh, DVD when I, was, when I was a missionary, and I was ready to support to go to South America. A pastor gave me a DVD, and it was an Alice Schoen documentary. It was uh, 9-11, The Road to Tyranny. And I watched it back then. It was a, it was a VHS tape, and uh, it was pretty. I really couldn't believe that at, when I first saw it. I couldn't believe 9/11 was an inside job, but it got me thinking that you know a lot of things didn't make sense. Just a lot of things didn't make sense. So uh, eventually, I, I think I caught the symposium that uh, Alice Jones had in Los Angeles with uh, Charlie Sheen. And there's there's a couple people there from I think uh, I don't know if Dan if it was if it was scholars for 9/11 Truth or 9/11 Truth and Justice, but you had some other people there. And uh, Alice Jones says if if you think this idea of false flag, if you think it's not really good, just do an internet search on Operation Northwoods. Just just check that out. And Operation Northwoods declassified was the plan that landed on on uh, President Kennedy's desk that said you know continue. Plans the people in the Pentagon had. I think uh, uh, Len Nitzer was uh, chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, landed on Kennedy's desk, and was plans, among other things, to what they wanted to do is they wanted to create the context. They wanted to create a pretext for the U.S. to go to war with Cuba, if not also the Soviet Union. So one of the things they said they do, they could basically uh, they could masquerade, they could disguise a U.S. fighter jet as a MiG. And then you know, shoot down a passenger plane, a students, things like that. And you know, to me, all that that completely—I mean, it's just completely changed the way I saw things. And of course, yeah, you know, Kennedy didn't sign off on those plans, and that, among other reasons, is why yeah, you know, Kennedy ended up extremely dead. But uh, 
all this stuff, you know, I started figuring all this stuff out. And at the end of the day, again, it really becomes if if you're going to be involved in the political process, going back to the quote from Quigley, when you realize left versus right is a fraud, if you're going to be involved at any level, if something if something really pushes you back into that paradigm, that really it's it's really not pr- productive, and that's really whether that was the intent or not of Ron Paul. Ron Paul comes in, he energized a lot of people like like you and I to be involved in the Republican Party. Some people stayed, some people exited, but the end result was yeah you know, really the whole Ron Paul movement as far as the the uh, the Republican angle. It was all it was decimated. I mean, it was gone. Then you got Trump, and you know Trump, he was all over the map, but he was consistent for the most part on foreign policy. He had taken out a full page ad, I think, in the New York Times uh, against the Iraq War. He had one statement on the Howard Stern, Stern show of all places, but I mean, he was consistent. That was one area. That was one issue. He was consistent, and again. I, uh, yeah, I like a lot of the people found that attractive. Now you see what's going on with Trump, and it's just uh, leads us right back, you know, right back to left-right paradigm. Trump, it, it really, I mean, I voted for Trump really. I shouldn't have on, on emotional grounds because it did bother me about, you know, thinking Hillary. But uh, Trump really tipped his hand in a lot of ways before, before the general election when he chose Pence as his running mate. Pence was complete established Republican. Pence supported, uh, opposed all of Trump's core issues in his voting record when he was in the House before he became governor of Indiana. Uh, Pence was for the fake free trade. He was for NAFTA. Uh, he was for immigration. <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was antithetical to, to all of Trump's core issues. So to me, Trump had tipped his hand, but I still did that now. You know, after the fact, I can't see how people in the liberty movement could go along because... Yeah, Trump has, Trump has basically, I think he's been exposed. Like, yeah, I think he was exposed beforehand, but now he's just been totally. I mean, even to to the nth degree now. What what what's your thoughts? Well, you started the comment off talking about the airports and the, you know, the incrementalism Uh Mm -hmm. and the Hegelian dialectic, which, Mm -hmm. you know, over time has just, I mean, even over the course of ten years. Uh, completely decimated what um, was not that long ago considered, you know, standard uh, respect of rights and privacy and the right to be free from reasonable search. And uh, to me, that is completely tied into what you're talking about with respect to the savior complex that a lot of people have about the presidential politics. Uh, You know, government is the new religion and the people who um, will totally disagree with me are the ones who believe so vehemently in that system. Um, You know, when you go to the airport and you're trying to travel domestically within, you know, your own home country and you can't actually do that without having not only your privacy, but your dignity completely violated. um, But yet you submit to it the fact that you give it your free will um, really demonstrates the, the core problem and why, you know, until we actually as individuals resist um, everything that is trying to subvert that free will process, are we going to solve anything? You know, 
I dipped my foot in presidential politics and the um, dynamics of political parties, and I saw firsthand how, um, you know, just almost like by human nature, there's this natural progression towards, you know, decay and corruption, which tells me that it's essentially an artificial structure that really shouldn't exist in the first place, um, and it's no longer serving it was its original constitution, which is to protect, um, you know, a certain number of rights which have been enumerated. And whether you agree with that being perfect or not, um, you know, the bare minimum standard of protection is not even being offered. In fact, it's being violated by the same entity which is claiming to protect it. So, you know, case in point, you go to the airport, I don't feel protected when they are either forcing me through some microwave, you know, cancer uh, causing um, scanner, nor do I, I feel, you know, and cry. the entire process is an assault on your free will. If you go to the scanner and you say, I don't want to be microwaved uh, like, you know, Tyson's fried chicken, they say, oh, do you want to opt out? And of course I, I fly often. So I, I've, been able to discover the entire script and they and I say no I don't want to opt out I'm answering your question I'm not I don't what do you mean opt out I don't want to go through the scanner they say opt out and then if you say yes I want to opt out then they have a whole other script which includes the you know feeling of your genitalia uh, <laughs> in order to you know determine whether you have a, a weapon on you or not and they selectively apply, you know, the laws. And so we really have to, to solve anything. We have to really get to the bottom of, like, what government is and what its function is supposed to, to be serving. Um, I, I see the whole Trump phenomenon, the Ron Paul phenomenon, the Rand Paul phenomenon as a desperate attempt to kind of take control back of, what was once a sovereign state, but is absolutely no longer. You know, when I talk about global government, people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, it's not something I'm saying is coming down the road. I'm saying it's, it's already here. There's yeah. plenty of documents to show that global government is totally enforced. It has been enforced, like you say, going all the way back to World War II and yeah. the post-World War II yeah. uh, infrastructure build-out. And you know, going back to my own personal involvement in activism, the whole public water fluoridation thing goes all the way back to that era, um, post-World War II, and the whole Orwellian conversion of our, you know, republic into a technocratic police state, to use your words. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not not to go off on water fluoridation, you, you probably know better than me, how many countries in the world have made, you know, don't fluoridate their water, yet you tell an American you don't want to fluoridate the water, and a lot of them look like you, like you have three eyes, you know. Right. It's truly insane. And, you know, we're both live. I don't know if you're still in the triangle area, but um, oh, yeah. Yeah. our area is so significant sociologically to that because the, the key bureaucrat who took office in the federal security agency, which before that was called the war research department to covertly search a research of biological chemical weapons, which of course we're bombing Syria now because they allegedly <laughs> used. Um, and of course we're like the key producers of 
biological uh, and chemical weapons. But the key bureaucrat who took office in the Federal Security Agency, which later became the Department of Health and Human Services, he was the one who propagandized the country with Edward Bernays, who also worked with all these other transnational corporations and wrote the book called Propaganda. He worked with him to propagandize the public to add fluoride to the water. And then that gentleman, his name is Oscar Ewing, um, after he retired from politics, he retired to Chapel Hill and started buying up land for the Research Triangle Park, uh, along with many other investors. Um, so we, you know, we really live in the heart of a hardcore eugenics um, globalist operation here um, in North Carolina. Yeah, excellent. I, I appreciate that background. I, uh, that, that that was awesome. The other thing along those lines you know, about eugenics in the state of North Carolina, up until the 70s. Up until the 70s, um, you had laws on the books for forcible sterilization in North Carolina. And when, and you know this, when, when people find out about issues, it gets framed by those in power so that people don't view it in terms of the loss of individual liberties. Case in point, uh, when you had the internment of Japanese citizens during World War II, uh, it, was all, it wasn't just Japanese, though, that it was most of them. Uh, that then gets rewritten in the official, the revisionist view of that in official history textbooks. And the only purpose of history textbook is to basically propagate a certain point of view. right? But the way they teach us that in school is that, well, this was this was wrong against the Japanese people. It was, it was against Japanese. Like, it was against Japanese-American citizens, but it was wrong not because they were Japanese. It was wrong because they were human beings. It was wrong because they were U.S. citizens. And others weren't terror. So they just make everything then ethnic. So you, you, you play, you get into political correctness, which, as as you all know, yeah, that's uh, that that's this idea of social Marxism and all. Uh, it same thing with, with the forced sterilization in North Carolina. They tried to spin that and say, well, you know, it was, it was aimed against blacks. And I think perhaps more blacks were forcibly sterilized, but it wasn't just blacks. So you know, they they have excellent systems in place just to keep us divided, and then inexorably, gradually over time, our rights just keep on getting chipped away. They keep us divided. And that's that's part of the reason why I think Trump Trump is really a masterpiece in the world order because uh, anyone in office, they're always polarized. I mean, it's just like for or against if people get involved at some level. The more involved in one sense you are in partisan politics, the more you get emotionally attached to people you don't know. But the thing, the thing with Trump, why I think he's a masterpiece. You look at what's happened just in post 9/11. Some people will still defend it as, you know, well, you know, lesser two evils and this and that. Say, okay, well, let, let's just look at the hard facts since 9/11. Most of the oppressive legislation that's occurred has occurred under Republican administrations. Okay, eight years a W. You know, the uh, the Patriot Act. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security is rolled out. <laughs> there, there was yeah, it just it, it kept on going, and we you know, we had some with Obama, eight years of Obama. But now, what would have happened? And I think I said this last month's show. What would have happened? And again, I wouldn't have voted for Hillary. But if Hillary would have won, as corrupt as she and her husband are, I think we'd be in a lot better position for this reason. There would have immediately been a complete polarization 
of the Republicans against her for obvious reasons, both you know Republican, you know, because she's not a, she's not a Republican, but this she was so hated and despised by those in her own party, and so corrupt and so vulnerable, she wouldn't have been able to get anything done. But now Trump runs as a fake nationalist, and uh, yeah, the guy's going to get stuff done. You mentioned the airports. I don't know if you saw this piece. They have a pilot program in place already. Well, when you get off the plane, not when you get on the plane, there's one federal agency. I didn't pull the article up. It's not TSA, but they're basically beta testing this plan where they're retina scanning people when you get off the plane. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm I'm not entirely surprised by that. Like I said before, I mean, I fly yeah. a lot. And uh, the military-industrial complex continues on. There's no doubt about that. I mean, it's really kind of painful to see a lot of uh, so-called libertarians um, trying to justify this big deal with Saudi Arabia that we did uh, as being a benefit. I mean, you know, the uh, when you look at basic economics, I mean, sure, you know, we could take the uh, Alex Jones approach and be like, oh, well, you know, let's see how this plays out. You know, maybe it's going to stabilize the Middle East. Okay. Um, Yeah, I guess I have no choice here, you know, in my my rural house in North Carolina, but to, uh, you know, wait and see. But based on what I see, you know, so far, it looks like um, we're still weapons dealing, and it's likely, highly probable that it's going to fall into the hands of the wrong people. Um, And it's like the basic uh, flaw of um, socialist economics that, you know, we can uh, break some windows, and then the uh, window maker is going to make a lot of money, and it's (laughs) Yeah, post Keynes. Yeah, post Keynes. Oh yeah, a hurricane would be great. A hurricane would be great for the economy. It'd be awesome. <laughs> oh well, you know, on that note, you know, we should talk about weather control weapons and how the uh, there was a resolution passed, you know, back in the 70s uh, by you know the, re- the United Nations um, asking countries to agree to this non-proliferation of uh, weather modification um, uh, science as uh, warfare tools. Um, and you've even <laughs> seen certain governments uh, like Iran accuse the Obama administration of, say, creating a drought. Uh, you see the drought, you know, the drought that happened in uh, California, and then all of a sudden the drought was like completely gone. Um, there's all sorts of anomalies that, you know, have been documented on online. Um, there's documentaries about this. Um, and people look, you know, that's another thing you talk about weather modification, cloud seeding, um, and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that in a movie once. And it's like, well, why don't you just go to weathermodification.com? It's literally yeah. a company website, and on their client list is the Department of Defense. And yeah. they advertise their cloud seeding programs. And I'm just like, I'm not stupid okay you know like i'm not stupid i can read for myself and they're like oh you got that on the internet i'm like well it's advertised on the internet does that make it invalid i'm sorry no you 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 bring out a great point i mean it's out there the geoengineering geospatial engineering a lot of it they don't even hide and of course there's uh you talk about project harp which is just one and others you know the the information the information is it's it's not hidden in a corner. It's out there for those who want to see, and that's how they control us again. By you, you control the narrative, then the facts don't matter, and that is part of the great danger 
of the partisan politics. You go back once again to the very simple concept I started with with Quigley. When you realize when you realize that two parties are controlled by the same interest. Again, we won't go into the build the burgers and and all that. Obviously, the goal is glo- the goal is global government. When you realize that, that enables you as an activist to you know, enter if you are going to enter into either the two parties. It gives you you know you should know precisely what you're doing and how not to waste your time. But this is a part of the trap of Trump is that I see people, not just Alex Jones, they've really come full circle. I mean, you could see, if you see the end of, you know, of course, Alex hasn't made documentaries in years, and he's made some really, really good ones. If you look at the, the Obama deception at the end, then anyone could, anyone who's listening, uh, you can get that online. You see, see it free online. There's Obama deception on YouTube. In the end, there's extras. And one of them, Alex does a small piece about the two-party system and uses the analogy of a pyramid or a triangle. And he goes, look at a triangle. He yeah. goes, yeah, you, you have two that. sides. He goes, right, if you knock down one side, I mean, Republican or Democrat, the other would collapse because it, they only exist in terms of one another. And you and I know that uh, having been involved uh, in, the, in the Republican Party. Everything is just designed. That's how they control a lot of people. Everything is designed. It's not principle. It's not even an issue. They think it's issues. It's just, well... I will support this or I will support that candidate or that issue because the Democrats are against it or if, or if you're uh you know if you're Repu- if you're a Democrat because Republicans are against it and that is uh that is a form of mind control uh uh you want to take a break Corey? I'd like to talk a little bit about Saudi Arabia with you and Wahhabism and, and 9/11 a little bit Sure all right, let's take a break for a moment or two. Listen to the KIRP radio show last Friday nights with Rocco P. Special guest, Corey Sturmer. We'll be back in a moment or two after this commercial message. It is my mission to create brand stories for you that push the envelope, force people to stop, think, and take notice. Ride with you on your journey to success by creating great design that makes you look like the originator and not an imitator. Get you out of your comfort zone. Inspire you to take action. Be risky and always stay true to your passion. Tiffany Inc. is located in Los Angeles, California. Tiffany Inc. specializes in designs, creative brands for the entertainment, fashion, beauty, and food industry. Some past and present clients include Jill Osco, J&K Fresh LLC, Celebrity Chef Nikki Shaw, Teen and Family Producer Doreen Spencer, the National Association of Veterans, the Alzheimer's Association, and a host of fantastic others. To contact Tiffany Inc., all you have to do is log on to www.tiffanywithaniinc.com. So we're discussing uh, Saudi Arabia when uh, when that deal went down. Mike Pence had said something to the effect of yeah, how great it was for our use the word freedom or liberty. For, uh, for the Middle East, and uh, yeah, there, there's just there's so much that could be said. First, Saudi Arabia is a Wahhabi state. Sharia law 
is literally enforced. Woman can't drive. A woman, woman are breaking the law if they go out of the house without uh, either an es- a male escort or permission of their father or a male relative. They behead people, people like me that believe in the Bible. If someone they find that out, someone's someone openly worships. Not only talking about evangelism, if Christians worshipped openly in Saudi Arabia, okay, they could get arrested. But I mean, this is a state that beheads people, and the illusion that somehow this is going to help to harm them. And of course, Trump is just continuing the policy that's been in place for a long time. Saudi Arabia is a product of the Anglo-American Empire, it was, as was as was Israel. And again, we could go down, we could spend a lot of time, not going to go there as far as the Zionist state. <laughs> but I'm just saying both of them were intimately related towards this push for globalism and the Anglo-American power structure. Saudi Arabia exists, really, and you know about the petrodollar. Uh, it serves purposes. Number one, first purpose is it keeps the illusion of the fiat currency of the of the US dollar or the Federal Reserve note of still having power still having historically every fiat currency has always been reduced to what's backed by which is nothing it will be no different in the end with the Federal Reserve note when the new world order says that's the case in the meantime Saudi Arabia basically being the largest producer and exporter of oil pushes the petrodollar so as long as countries have to trade oil, if they're going to trade, they got to trade in dollars. And that's part of the problem, part of the hostility against Iran, because they're trying to trade not in dollars. But Saudi Arabia, uh, you go back to 9-11, most of the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. As you probably well know, uh, al-Qaeda means the base. Al-Qaeda or al-Qaeda was, was the product of Western intelligence, largely the CIA, the, as you know, the history when the Soviet, the U.S., the United States provoked, provoked the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. That they provoked that, they wanted that, they wanted, they wanted the Soviet, then Soviet Union to get into a quagmire. Then they armed and created, to a large degree, the opposition. Part of that opposition was Osama bin Laden. Uh, I think one of his names, CIA names, was Tim Osman. Uh, Osama bin Laden was in communication with the CIA up until 9-11. That was documented by Sibel Edmonds. I believe her book was Undercover Lady. A lot of good stuff on uh, on the web, a lot of good stuff on YouTube with Newsbud and Sibel Edmonds. You can see her story. So it's just, it's it's a joke that's not funny to see Trump go in and continue to expand aggressive foreign policy. Eventually, too, Saudi Arabia will fall, but that'll be after Syria's gone, after Iran's gone. And then this, probably the royal family will relocate elsewhere. But um, it, it is amazing to just see the mind control. Again, with Alex Jones, you say he says, wait and see. Alex Jones knows these facts about Saudi Arabia. He knows it's one of the most oppressive states in the world. Um, again, it's business as usual. To me, I mean, the easiest way I'd like to sell some T-shirts is that uh, I think you could easily say that now we know Donald J. Trump is Hillary Clinton with a penis. Uh, it just it just still amazes me. And it's not just Alex Jones though; he's he's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. How people could still be enticed and believe that this whole Trump thing is going to be good? I, I just don't know.
Uh, Do you you think anything good is going to come out of it, Corey? Hey, Rocco, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hey, sorry, I had to dial back in. Um, That's okay. I I did catch most of uh, what you were saying there, and really this gets to the point of the matter, which if I could say there was one positive thing about what's happening today, it's that the shadow government, the deep state, the transnationals, the central banks, uh, the subversion, the corruption, the uh, the pedophile networks, they are more exposed now than ever before. And granted, we have um, a candidate who is not delivering on their campaign promises yet again. It's par for the course. Um, but at least we can say that he was elected on the back of the idea that we were going to take down a globalist, you know, organization. And the one positive I see here is that, you know, at least there are people um, out there now talking about this and independently investigating and independently deciding to do things differently. Um, You know, the rise of voluntarism and, um, anarchism in the you know true sense of the word, not the co-opted FBI sense right. of the word, um, where people are asserting their own rights instead of like waiting for some politician to to jump into the fray yeah. and assert them for them. Um, you see increasing numbers of people like that questioning everything that they've been told, and um, yeah, I mean the thing that you know, going on with Syria, I mean, to me, that's just another move on the chessboard for the controllers of this plane. Um, And that's the point is that we should have never expected a president to be elected and to, you know, uh, grant us our rights back within a four-year term. I mean, we're so far gone. It's uh, just ludicrous to put our faith in the office of the presidency whose power is supposed to be limited, by the way, you know, it's just a total logical fallacy to say, well, I don't want the president to have executive power, but I want him to have executive power to remove his executive power, you know, and that's basically what we're proposing here. Yeah. And the, you know, the, the whole slippery slope seems to be so lost on so many. And again, we go back to the fluoridation issue. It's, more than fluoridation. It's the systematic dumbing down of the population um, through the water supply, but also the food supply, through the air supply, and through the public education system, which, by the way, you're supposedly um, voluntarily paying for. You know, taxes are supposed to be voluntary compliance, but that in and itself is a contradiction of terms, voluntary compliance. If you don't pay your taxes, what happens? You get arrested. So you don't have freedom. Uh, If you read the Constitution, it says debtor prisons are outlawed, but that's not the case. You can definitely go to jail for having tax debt. Um, So it's just 1984 Orwellian uh, BCL existence here in Slavelandia, also, you know, formerly known as the Republic of America. 
Yeah, I, I, I uh, you know, to, to park on the idea of the presidency, people, you know, people established in the liberty movement knew, in in a very real sense, JFK was the last president. Meaning, obviously, there were presidents after JFK. J- John F. Kennedy was the last real president in the sense that he was the last president to actually oppose the real deep state, the real shadow government, and yeah, he was executed. So it was it was naive to think that someone outside who was a legitimate outsider could really get elected. And and Trump was only a legitimate outsider in that he didn't have he didn't have any political office experience. But obviously with his money and the circles he was in, he was completely connected. You may know you mentioned pedophile ring in passing. Uh we know from at least once he was on Lolita Express. At, at least once. So that is um, true. I think, yeah, I would love to know what what yeah. exactly happened there. Yeah. Um, but again, that's another topic. If you bring it up, people look at you cross-eyed. And oh, yeah. well, at least, of course, at yeah. least we can talk well, about it. You know, but yeah, we're we're part part of what we're talking is is to uh, is to positively influence and uh, educate people. But obviously, the pedophile network is there. They uh, they do that apart from their satanic rituals, to be able to blackmail anyone. I mentioned before Sibel Edmonds and uh, Newsbud. They've done some really good work, and part of what they did is they talked about, in, the, in, term, context, in terms of the pedophile network, go back to Dennis Hastert. Dennis Hastert was a Republican speaker of the U.S. House. He's a graduate of Evangelical Wheaton College. Lo and behold, it comes out years after Hastert's removed from office, a good 20 years, that he was a pedophile. He's in jail now, has nothing to do with pedophilia. It just so happens there's statute of limitations in spite of the list of people that accused him, and it was something due to, due to finances. The point is, when people hear stories like that that haven't researched, they think, well, he was he was one bad apple. Uh, he, he was one despicable person. Yeah, he was this and that. And you and I know you stop and think, well, okay, let's 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 drill down. Let's think about this. You don't get elected to U.S. Congress, really, by accident. Now, I'm not saying the entire system is rigged, but by and large, uh, to a certain degree, that's the case. You look at Ron Paul. He got in, and again, you look at the results. Uh, he led people back into pretty much a two-party system. You know, what's, what's the fruit been? If you're going to put, in other words, if you're going to put all of your eggs in the basket of fighting for the Republican Party, it, it's it's a waste. The fight's over already because they don't follow their own rules and it's corrupt. You and I know that. You don't get elected to become the Speaker of the U.S. House unless you're in the deep inner circle. So what I'm saying, to be blunt, is that obviously people knew Hastert was a pedophile all along, and that's part of the reason he was elevated to a position of power, because then they knew they could easily destroy him. Again, as you said before, a lot of people can't comprehend that the powers that be are that corrupt, but they they are precisely. I just go back to the pragmatic argument, then why, whether you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, if if you follow politics at all, you look at any particular issue, you look at public education, as you mentioned, Marxist concept, free public education, complete lie. I can't get a Republican office holder right now. I don't know everybody, 
but I know some. I can't get a Republican office holder to publicly debate the morality of free public education, which is collectivist Marxist concept to the core. That very language, free public education, is enshrined in the North Carolina Constitution. Okay, it's not, there's no federal laws that say you have to do that. There's federal laws about education that shouldn't exist. But they passed this with confiscatory taxation, as you mentioned. They've done that through at the state level. Yeah. But this is how deep it yeah. is. This is. This is what we're fighting. Well, yeah, no, you talk about mind control, and that really is what it boils down to. There, In my opinion, there's, there's not even a such thing as a state or a citizen. Um, what it is is just people – making voluntary agreements with one another. And unfortunately you have a lot of people making agreements that they don't even know that they made. Um, you know, the, you're, you have a lot of legal uh, facets to your existence within this country. And there's a lot of presumptions made about, you know, your legal status and based upon those presumptions um, you, you in effect become subject to all sorts of rules and regulations that you don't even really know that you're agreeing to, but nevertheless, someone knows that they're, you're agreeing to them, and that's called the government. If you look at the yep. root root uh, of government in its Latin sense, um, it basically means mind control, and that's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's just people. You have just people, you know, in positions um, of power, um, and they try to control your mind and it's all done through language and color, uh, uh, color of law. Um, and you look at, you know, the property tax issue and how it, you know, finances, like you say, confiscatory taxes, progressive taxes, which is in the, the tenets of um, the communist, communist manifesto. manifesto. And yeah. uh, I mean, it's unbelievable. And um, the thing is that their own application of the tax uh, percentages contradict the constitution which you know if there ever was a legitimate you know uh legitimately passed tax under their own rules then it would be equally apportioned in other words you wouldn't have a bunch of counties with different yep. property tax percentage yep. which is selective enforcement yep. so yep. i mean it's just fraud up one side and down the other and it's frustrating yep. the only way that it's going to get changed you're not going to elect anybody and i i get what you're saying you know you yep. can't find anybody in yep. office well, the thing is, you can't even elect anybody into office who would uh, take well, a position like this. So really, it well, comes down to of course, you. Of, of course. Interact of with, course. That's what I'm saying. If you, can't, interact if you want to debate a, it, sure. If you want to debate it, you're not right. going to run on that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, I, I, I hear you. I mean, and, and the frustrating thing as an activist is that, you know, it could be done. In other words, we could change the state constitution. We're trying to educate people at this point is with uh, confiscatory taxation for uh, government education, otherwise known as public education, is I'll say this, okay. I'm philosophically opposed to it. I'm morally opposed to it. But if the state wants to operate schools, let's do it like this. Let's change, let's change the state constitution then and say the state could have any and all schools that they want of any type. However, however, they will not be funded with a dime of confiscatory taxation, they will have to compete with wholly private schools. Now, if that happened, the vast majority would cease to exist. <laughs> but again, right. I can make that, no. th that that concession. But but they don't want that. They want to be able to rob us to support institutions that you and I personally will never support. 
Right. And I mean, that, of course, that would, if you removed monopoly power from government, you would essentially extinguish it because they operate all their businesses through force. I mean, it's so ironic. You go to the DMV, you walk up to the table and you see this little (laughs) placard up there that says customer service. And it's like, wait a minute. I thought I had to be here. Like, I don't want to be here. If I did, I might actually be a customer. But I'm not a customer. I'm here because if I don't come here, you're going to arrest me. So how dare you call me a customer? There's nothing well, voluntary about it. you can get a license plate, Corey. If you pay, you get a license plate that says First and Freedom in North Carolina. <laughs> right. That's, yeah, that's the ultimate irony. And the point here is that, sure, I think licensing is fine. You can have licensing, but why can't you have competing licensure systems? Yeah. And then that, oh, yeah. then you would actually create a licensure system that meant something. They say, well, you have to have driver's license. Otherwise, we have idiots driving all over the road. And I say, well, aren't there idiots already driving all over the yeah. road despite the mandatory monopolized uh, driver's uh, license system? Absolutely. Same thing with same, same logic and rationale of passing a law saying for public safety, you have to buy car insurance as opposed to saying, let it be completely voluntary and you know, the bad drivers will take care of themselves. <laughs> Well, they would have to because in uh, a society like that, you wouldn't be reliant on the artificial you know, inflation of the insurance market. You would be liable for any damages that you cause, and then maybe you'd be a better driver because you'd be liable for it. And, 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 and those of us who still want to purchase insurance, just like with health insurance, if the market was free, we would pay less and right. get more. <laughs> Exactly, because you'd have a, a, a competitive market among catastrophic outcomes, which is essentially what insurance is supposed to be in the first place, is insurance against some unlikely probability. Yeah. Instead, people are treating it like, you know, prepaid car care. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it, it, it is, it is amazing. Uh, any, uh, any websites you'd like to plug? Well, we've got an interesting situation going on in Orange County with the fluoridation issue. Um, And I've been, as you know, I think that may have been how we met, Rocco, was through the fluoride uh, subject. And uh, I've been not. It it was technically it was uh, we were on Paul Republicans. We met uh, we met at a uh, congressional district meeting and history has never been the same since. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know, because we we have done some joint, you know, activism together in the fluoride front. I've been active in that area for since 2011, and uh, I do still have a website, um, although it's increased. It's it's uh, less and less relevant as time goes on because uh, it's called DurhamAgainstFluoride.com, and it was originally started to stop fluoridation in the city of Durham because that's where I live, but I no longer live in Durham anymore. However, you know, we're still um, active in that area. There's, there was a, a, a disaster that took place in Orange County, which is adjacent to Durham and somewhere that I had been active um, pre in past years, trying to get them to end the community water fluoridation program. Um, so I'm still updating that with, things that are going on um, in that area. But the truth of the matter is that we really need to consolidate our efforts uh, if we're going to make any meaningful impact because it's not just Durham. It's not just Orange County. It's not just the city of Raleigh. It really is a national uh, problem that we have, and we're compromised all the way up, you know, through the EPA, through the Center of Disease Control, 
through um, the federal bureaucracy and all the way up to Congress, I would argue. Um, but if you if you want to learn more about what I've done um, in that area, DurhamAgainstFluoride.com uh, would be a good place to go. We got uh, we got to say 20 minutes left. If uh, if you want to go that long, and I just the other question I ask you is this: is do you think do you think I'm being too critical of Alex Jones and others that identify with the broader liberty movement for still supporting Trump? Do you think I'm being too critical? Um, I think it, Alex Jones is a public figure, and he has a platform that reaches millions and millions of people. So he he is opening himself up to criticism, and I don't think he shirks criticism. I mean, I think he supports – he at least – says that he supports freedom of speech. Um, so, you know, keeping him, um, you know, keep uh, putting his feet to the fire, uh, just like we're supposed to be doing with Trump um, and anybody else, you know, holding public office for that matter is, is a, a worthy exercise. And there's definitely things to criticize, um, but I wouldn't wholly characterize Alex Jones as bad. Um, I think there's different levels of gatekeeping within the liberty movement and Recognizing that and talking about it is the most important thing that we can do. Who, who do you, you say when you say gatekeeper? I mean, at this point, yeah, I've never, I have no idea the history with Alex Jones. Uh, just a couple observations. When, uh, as far as free speech, obviously he runs a business, but for years, uh, I have no idea what the non-disclosure, what he has people sign off on when they go to work for him, but either people have quit or been terminated and yeah they can never I don't know if you know what it says but they can never discuss it. That that's always bothered me with Alex, uh because again un- unless it was something outrageous, uh yeah, he, he just he really has that level of control for a guy who's supposedly a liberty guy. Yeah, I completely understand protecting your assets and all that. That's yeah, that, that that's what I'm talking about. I'm just I'm just saying I don't really don't I think Alex is a fraud in the sense in this sense. He has portrayed himself as a born again Christian. He's not. He believes in you know, you know, new age type ideas. Uh, he lied for years about being divorced on the air. Now he is screening calls. He says he doesn't screen calls. He does. And yeah, you know, this complete uh this complete you know, curtain of silence against anyone. I mean, if you know some of the names, you know, Aaron Dykes left years ago, Melissa Milton left years ago, they're married now, Jakari Jackson, yeah, had left the fold, Kurt Nimmo has his site up another day in the Empire again, he works with News Boat, but I mean, you've had a lot of people that have done really, really solid work, and yeah, they, they just they just disappear, so again, only God knows Alex Jones' motives, but at this point, the fact that he's leading people back into that left-right paradigm, to me, He's kind of lost. He, he's kind of useless now in the sense that uh, there's worse things than Alex Jones. But you know, what's the point? The whole point of the two-party system, where, where they control people, is that they get a lot of people. You mentioned at the beginning about people getting mad, and that's a good thing if it leads to uh, you know, an investigation, discovery process, and then they understand the real issues. But a lot of people on left and right are just mad. And that's where the New World Order wants them, because they just want them mad and locked into that system, knowing that, you know, they stay there, ain't nothing going to change. <laughs> yeah, and I guess I have to say, 
Alex at this point might just be a victim of his own success. I don't know that he's um, controlled opposition or compromised, but he has a business. He has a lot of liabilities. He has a lot of responsibilities and keeping that business alive. I, I think, you know, he does, I, I struggle with the idea that, you know, he is involved in a high level conspiracy to deceive us and put us into right left paradigm. But maybe that's me being naive. You know, a lot of people look at government and they say, Oh, they don't really mean to, you know, tear our uterus out. They just did it by accident. Um, And, you know, I, I, I can't get there with Alex at this point. I agree. There's, he has a lot of conflicts, but he seems to be, you know, pretty at this point. I mean, yeah, he, denied that he was divorced for many years. Um, but there was a gag order in, in the trial. Um, so, you know, he, he, he's bound by the same system that he's trying to, to, uh, to criticize, you know, for example, I would call him a hypocrite on the issue of the, uh, fraudulent income tax because he's making millions and millions of dollars and he's complying with all these taxes in order to keep his business open. But from a principled perspective, that's not consistent with with the historical facts of the Internal Revenue Service. So, well, well, just, I mean, yeah, do I criticize good, him for that, or do you know I acknowledge yeah, I, that I, I give, you know I mean, he does some good I give work? Him a pass. Yeah, I give him a pass on that. But I go back to the issue. You go back to 9/11 truth. If you if you listen to him over time, you know, I mean, that that was his big thing, and he started to change. Even before Trump, he started to say things like, "Well, maybe they let it happen," which is ridiculous for a guy that we you know said for years. I mean, yeah, his built largely built his audience on 9/11 was an inside job, and you look at someone just anecdotally like Giuliani. Trump was talking about Giuliani running, I think, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, and Alex had nothing to say about that. This is the same Giuliani right. who Alex right. had mercilessly exposed years ago. His right. dad was in the mob, complete complete whore, totally in on 9/11. So to me, on the issues, I just I just can't give Alex pass. Was was Alex bought out from day one, just like Trump? I don't I have no idea. But we know what we know. It, it really doesn't matter. In other words, it, the smoking right. gun doesn't matter with Alex. What matters is what's his what's he saying and doing now, and what's his influence saying to right. Trump? What's Trump saying and doing now, and what's his influence? I see Trump as a masterpiece for the New World Order. I don't think he was the first guy. I think Marco Rubio was the first guy, but that's part of the reason the World Order is so successful. They have a lot of contingency plans in place. So I think a lot of the opposition against Trump was real, but it wasn't like the people that were fighting him were good Republicans. They just, it was basically, he was the new, he was like the new crime boss that hadn't paid his dues. With Alex, again, he knows all this and more, and he continues, he continues to perpetuate this colossal lie that Trump is good. Uh, it, I, I, again, on the issues, I, he just Alex Jones today sounds like a completely different guy than the person I listened to, you know, back in like 2007. completely different, completely different show. So, again, God knows his mowers like anyone else's, but. I just I just can't give him a pass on as far as the issues and his influence. I just can't do it at this point. 
Yeah, well, I, I know a lot of people who feel the same way, and I have to agree with you guys to a, to a certain extent. I mean, the partisanship and the, you know, hold your nose and uh, we got to support it. I mean, it's, it's not believable. Um, it would be a lot more believable if, you know, Trump was like coming on the show and, you know, you know, when Syria got bombed, you know, calling it yeah. out as a false flag. But that's not what yeah, happened. And, and, and to right, apologize and using for the power. Right. Absolutely. And using the executive power he has to end things that were created by executive order, like the EPA. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where, where I'm at. You know, the idea that, you know, he can just usher in a bunch of more, you know, we, we have good people. We can bring good people into the yeah. bureaucracy. And it's like, no, the nah. bureaucracy is the problem. Um, the only thing that's going to earn my respect is I'm firing the IRS. I'm firing the EPA. Yeah. I'm yeah, using my executive right. powers to close yeah. it down because executive orders were used to open it up. I mean, the hypo- that's where the hypocrisy of absolutely. I agree with you 100. The hypocrisy of Trump, it, it's so evident, so blatant at so many levels. When he in the primaries, when he ran against Cruz, and yeah, you know, Cruz is complete fraud, also a fake Christian. When he ran against Cruz, he hammered Cruz because Cruz conveniently forgot when he ran for Senate to mention a million-dollar loan he got from Goldman Sachs due to his wife's influence, his wife's Goldman Sachs exec. So, uh, yeah, Donald J. Trump hammered Goldman Sachs. He gets in office. He puts in Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Goldman Sachs, and you look at what he did after Goldman Sachs, even more notorious and disgusting with the Indy, Indy Mac deal, stealing from people. Then he gets this guy Cohn, yeah, uh, chief economic advisor. So, again, the hypocrisy is unending with Trump. So, all these people, not just Alex, that are somewhat connected to the liberty movement, that just want to say, well, yeah, give him time or whatever. Yeah, we know who Trump is now. It's just a matter. Oh, yeah, are are you? Yeah, do you continue to want to basically undermine the country? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you talked about um, Hillary being elected and that perhaps accelerating the uh, awakening process for the people. And I've been of the opinion for a long time that I just want, you know, what the reflation of 2009 to end. I I mean, Mm -hmm. we should have never bailed out the banks in 2008. We should have taken the the, the, the pain of that, uh, you know, all of the mistakes that were made with Glass-Steagall and the uh, the tech bubble and the real estate bubble, all of that should have been felt then, and we would well, have perhaps had a chance at actual recovery and you know reassertion of absolutely. our sovereignty and absolutely. all of that. But that's not absolutely. what happened. Alex Jones back then, I don't know what the Alex Jones of 2017 would say, but at the time he made a great observation as far as the ballot. He goes, if the government's going to spend X amount of dollars to help the banks. Just pay off everyone's mortgage. In other words, that money then goes to the banks. But of course, they wouldn't do that because that would have empowered individuals. It's never about helping the people. Never is. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I, I deeply appreciate the conversation, Corey. Hopefully, we can do this again. Any closing thoughts? Um, no, keep up the good fight, man. I uh, appreciate you having me on, and it's been a lively discussion. hope we can continue it sometime soon. Take care, my friend. Yeah, you too. Bye. Good night.
You're listening to the KIRP radio show last Friday nights with Rocco P. Once again, I thank Pudgy Miller for the opportunity to use his platform at least once a month. Tonight we were talking about the Liberty Movement and Donald J. Trump. Please tune in again next month, last Friday, same place and same time. Thank you. K-I-R-P. Radio!